All right. I need you guys to put down your phones and turn off your shopping lists because this is one of those sermons where we, I really need you to engage. Other Sundays you don't have to engage and you can work on your shopping list, it's fine. But this is one of those Sundays where I want you to really, because a lot of how I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to, you know, we, we talk about these drop the mic moments that, you know, it's a joke in our culture now. So this topic is awesome. And the way Jesus kind of unpacks it is it forces us to think more deeply on it. And so how I'm going to do that is maybe not bring a ton of answers to everything here and really want to encourage you to be pondering and thinking about this with anyone else who's in here this morning uh, as you leave. So, um, so be with me here because we're going to, I'm going to, we're already just a tiny bit behind, so I may even, um, I'm going to take my time because this is important, but I really want you guys to, to stay with me. So let me read our passage. It's a very famous passage that maybe is oftentimes misunderstood. So here we go. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. What are the politics of Jesus? An important follow-up question to that is, are you, am I, aligned with the politics of Jesus. And maybe even more important is, if not, are you willing to be realigned? Today we're going to be invited to move our views. That's what following Jesus means. Follow me is one of those incredibly simple calls that is incredibly complicated. Follow me, Jesus says, for if Jesus is the king of all things, then he should be the king of all of me. And the question to all of us this morning is, is he? Is he? We're in the middle of this section of Mark. We've been going through Mark for about a year and a half, and we come to this spot. It's a turning point. It started in chapter 11. There are seven tests brought to Jesus, and they keep getting more and more intense. And today, a group of leaders comes to Jesus, and they ask a question to stump him. And we're going to start by addressing that question and see how it goes. So our first point this morning is the question is unanswerable. The question is unanswerable. Jesus is hanging out in the temple, and they come to him, and they ask this question. They ask it in two ways. Let me read it for us again. They say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, I'm not a lawyer, but in law school, I know that they talk about questions like this, trick questions, dangerous questions, 
unanswerable questions. In fact, there's one that they often use to help lawyers. They, they talk about this question that you should be careful if it's ever asked is, have you stopped beating your dog? Have you stopped beating your dog? They actually use this in law school. Why is that a dangerous question? Well, the reason it's a dangerous question, because if you say, yes, I've stopped beating my dog, then you're implying I was beating my dog. And if you say no, well, then you're just in even bigger trouble. So that is a dangerous question. So our culture, we love these questions. We love these questions. It's the kind of questions we see, especially in politics today. Are you for this or are you against this? And the reason we ask these questions is because we want to attack people. We want to expose them. And what politicians have learned to do is they don't answer them. They just completely avoid the question. So the Pharisees and the Herodians, they come to ask, and they make it explicitly clear, Jesus, this is a yes or no question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And then they ask it again. Should we do it or shouldn't we? They had, in their minds, the perfect question. We're going to get Jesus. It's easy enough. Should we or shouldn't we? Pay them or not pay them? Now, why is it an unanswerable question? Well, if Jesus says that we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, then he's basically setting himself up against Rome. He's saying, okay, listen, Rome, it's, a, it's bad. You shouldn't do any submission to them. And he would be establishing himself as some kind of revolutionary coming in to take down Rome if he says don't pay taxes. In, in essence, most likely inciting a revolution. And Rome would then come and deal with him. Well, he would, or he could say, you should pay them. And if he said, you should pay the taxes, then all of the people who he'd been following, who he'd been talking about a new kingdom and a new way of thinking, they would be upset with him. They would reject him. It would basically be the opposite of what he had been saying for three years. So what is Jesus supposed to do with an unanswerable question? Well, the question may be unanswerable, but the answer is unquestionable. Listen to this. Now, before I really dive into what Jesus does here, I want to point something out. I want us to notice that Jesus isn't like politicians who avoid answering questions. Jesus takes their trick, hypocritical, unanswerable question, and he offers an answer to this question that makes everyone marvel at the end. I hope you heard that because it's important to this. They didn't walk away going, I can't, oh, he, he never answers the question, or, oh, I can't, what, what are we supposed to do? They were so dumbfounded by what, the way he approached the answer to this question that Mark makes it clear they, were, they marveled. It means very much amazed. Well, what makes them amazed? Three things. The first thing is this, the unquestionable nuance of how Jesus answers the question. So 
basically what happens here is he says, I know what you're doing. And he asked them for a denarius, and they brought him one. And then he says, whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus then says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, here's what I want to point out. First, we're going to take a 30,000-foot approach to this before we dig into the, the specifics of what and how he's answering this. He doesn't get sucked into their shouldn't we or shouldn't. Or should we or shouldn't we question? He doesn't just give a simple yes or no answer. And what I want to point out in this is when he is asked about politics, it's nuanced. It's balanced. He resists political simplicity. There are things about following Jesus that are simple. Obey, read your Bible, pray. When it comes to other things in regards to Christianity, there is tension. We've used this word and talked about it before here, that that there needs to be conversation and nuance. When it comes to how Christians should engage with the world, he resists their trap to make things black or white, to make things either or. N.T. Wright, a famous writer and theologian in thinking about this very context in question, he wrote this, Jesus is not going to be drawn into the sterile should we, shouldn't we debate, nor is he giving a timeless ethical ruling which settles once for all the relationship between church and state. I love this. He says, he's hitting the ball back over the net at twice the speed of which it came. I mean, can you picture the, I love that image, right? It's like, yep, they're, they think they've got this ace that they're hitting back, and Jesus is like, whoo! And so, before we go on, can we just ponder something for a second here? Why do we want things to be one way or the other? Why do we want black or white, right or left? Why is it that we oftentimes find in the church that you long for me to just tell you what to do and how to do it? A lot of times, it's self-righteousness that puts us in an either-or category. And I'm going to press on us here. When When we say things like, If you're a Christian, you either think about taxes this way or that way, climate change this way or that way, government this way or that way, voting for this party or that party. That is political simplicity. That wasn't the way Jesus thought about government. The world wants to push you and I into either or thinking. And what Jesus brought to culture in this very moment was he was inviting them to think about things in nuance. It's unquestionable nuance that Jesus invites us to. And frankly, the church has made the mistake in the past of aligning itself with certain parties because of either or thinking. Jesus doesn't allow for that here. And that's why they marveled at his answer. 
It's unquestionably amazing. Well, let's dive into his answer a little deeply, a little more deeply. The second thing we see here is the unquestionable image. Jesus has these two incredible statements. He says, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars and render to God the things that are God's. So first, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars. What's Jesus doing here? So he points to this coin, and the coin basically on one side had a picture of Caesar, and on the other side talked about him being the high priest. They were, this coin was a significant thing in their culture, and it was a tax that people were supposed to pay. And in essence, they thought what was about to happen here was they were going to say to Jesus, they were expecting Jesus to say, don't pay this tax. And what Jesus does is crazy. He takes it, and then he says to them, Who's, whose image is on it? Who's on there? And they're like, uh, Caesar? And he's like, great, then give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Jesus here, in surprise to everybody, acknowledges the legitimacy of human government. He's basically distancing himself from political anarchy. The group of people that thought that they should overthrow Rome, that the world was dark and evil and we're going to just take it down, he's, he's saying, no, pay the tax. That's what we should do. Jesus is starting a revolution, but not one that uses violence to fight violence or evil to fight evil. And then he blows their minds. And he says, render to... Th- God, the things that are God's. Now, the word that's really important here is what he asked at the beginning of this whole phrase is he said, whose likeness is on this coin? Now, when you hear the word likeness, what comes to mind for you? It should bring to mind Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where God said, we created man and female in our likeness or image. It's the same exact word. And the NIV actually uses the word image because what Jesus is saying is he's making it utterly clear because he's saying whose image is on this coin? Caesar's. Okay, well then give to Caesar's what is his. And then he's saying whose image is on you? then give to the one whose image is on you to the one whose image you are. The implications, my friends, are massive. This is why we need community groups to really think, reflect, and ponder on what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, give Caesar his money and give to God's what is his. So Caesar can have money. Now, this is where it's really important, the nuance of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't saying, yeah, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God. There should be all these questions that come up like, well, what does that mean and what does it look like and how am I supposed to do that? Because also what Jesus is saying is he's saying, you should then also treat Caesar as he is, as not God. That there is someone who is over God that you follow and that you should give your full allegiance to. So you can give your tax to Caesar, but the system of injustice, the system of ultimate allegiance that Caesar is calling you to, that you cannot give to him. Because that is God's to be given to. 
Jesus is saying we will pay taxes and not revolt, but we will not just be people who are complacent, who say it doesn't matter, who don't try and rock the boat. So we're not revolting and we're not accepting the system. I mean, on the one hand, you can't be complacent. This is where I find and have in my own life get to this place with politics where we're like, ugh, I give up. Who cares? What does it matter? And Jesus is saying here, you can't do that. And then there's that other side that we find plenty in the church getting to is we're saying, we have to win through government. It's the answer to it all. And Jesus is saying there's no place for complacency and there's no place for supremacy. You can't not think about the world and how Christians should be engaged with it, and you can't look to government as everything to solve all of our problems. Before I move on, can I ask us to ponder something? What makes us so prone to categorize people? You're either right or left, red or blue, us versus them. Self-righteousness loves us versus them thinking. It thrives on it. Self-righteousness makes us look down on people and say, they're the problem. Do you find yourself saying, people who think that way, they're the problem? What did Jesus do here? He does not allow us first, them thinking. Did Jesus tell them to pay the taxes or not? Well, he said yes and no. Did Jesus say we should give our full allegiance to Caesar? No. But did he say we should follow the commands of what's happening here? Yes. Jesus, did he tell them to revolt or pay the taxes? In one sense, he said, don't revolt and pay the taxes. In the other sense, he said, we're going to revolt and not be aligned with Caesar. He did both. Are you confused? Good. Yes, because that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is trying to say to us, you guys, we should have unquestionable nuance because we are unquestionably created in the image of God as are all people. It doesn't mean we can't or shouldn't be passionate about the things that we care and are convicted about. But on the other hand, we have to be incredibly careful to give supremacy to politics or complacency to it as well. Jesus doesn't fully accept the system, and he doesn't call for revolt. Because if the coin bears Caesar image, then it belongs to him. But if you bear God's image, then you belong to God. And the way Jesus is going to change the world is a way no one has ever conceived of. Jesus is going to be a king in a way no one has ever been king. He's bringing the kingdom to deal with all the problems in the world in a way that completely redefines kingship because he will be the unquestionable king. 
Jesus is not a better king. He's not just different. He completely changes the way we understand kingship. We all need a king. We all want a king. So the question to us is, what is the king that you're under? Talked about this a couple weeks ago. Who is the ultimate authority in your life? Is it a political king? If only they're in power, everything will be good. Is it a relational king? If only he or she loves me, all will be good. Is it a comfort king? If only I have my appetite satisfied, all will be good. Is it a success king? If only I get that position or that role, all will be good. We're all under some kind of king. But this is where Jesus completely changes kingship because he gives up his power and he gives up his success and he gives up his reputation and he gives up his comfort for why? For you, for me. Just invite you to listen to this very carefully. Jesus gave up those things so that we could have them. And when we truly embrace and are moved by and take in what it means that Jesus gave those things up so that they could fully be given to me and you, that's when real and true life change will begin for each of us. It's when we won't be driven by self-righteousness. We won't be driven by power. We won't be driven by success. We won't be driven by reputation. And we won't be driven by comfort. It's only when we've been given those things perfectly that we then can live the freedom that Jesus wants us to live. We won't be distressed if we won't get the job. We won't be distressed if the person we voted for doesn't win. And we won't be distressed when our relationships are struggling. My friends, this is a king like no other. The question they asked was unanswerable, but Jesus' answer was unquestionable. I'm going to give up everything so you can have everything. But that means if Jesus is the king of all kings, then he should be the king of all of me. And the question before us this morning is, is he? One last pondering, if you will. What makes us so prone to want to be king? Well, many things, but one thing for sure is that we think we can attain what a king has. Self-righteousness leads me to say, me versus Jesus. And what's amazing about Jesus the king is that he comes on the scene and he sees our self-righteousness and he realizes that the only way to break us of our self-righteousness is to give us a righteousness that is outside of ourselves, a righteousness that we could never attain on our own. And my friends, that is a king worth following. I'm starting to see something in the church. <laughs> For a while, Democrats have been afraid that the church is telling them to become Republicans. And now, 
Republicans are afraid that the church is going to tell them to become Democrats. So you might be asking, what are you telling us, Brian? What are the politics of Jesus? Well, rend to Caesar's. What is Caesar's? And rend to God's. What is God's? Are you aligned with the politics of Jesus? Are you willing to be realigned? Let's pray. Almighty God, may the hope and message of Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and the Herodians give us hope and cause for reflection and cause for passion. And may the hope of Jesus as the great and ultimate king who gave it all up for us be the aroma and smell that we give off as we live in our community and culture. We pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen.